Please stand for our scripture reading. Our scripture for today comes from 1 Peter 2, 9 through 17, 21 to 24, 3, 13 to 16. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. This is God's word. Well, good morning. I invite you to please pray with me once more. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, come back to Peter's letter to um, the church is, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear and to understand uh, what your word declares so that we might have lives that are changed and lives that reach out um, to our neighbors in love with grace and truth and humility, gentleness and respect. I pray, Father, that we would see that kind of transformation among us as we're seeing already. Um, that you would further that ministry and enlarge that work for the sake of your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So comic Jim Gaffigan, anybody know that guy? Oh, wow, there's a lot of people that know that one. So he's got this skit, and he, he, says, he says this. He says, I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I want to talk to you about Jesus. So roaring laughter happens, and he says, he better not. It doesn't matter if you're religious or not. Does anything make you feel more uncomfortable than some stranger going, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus? It's it's uncomfortable. Yeah, I'd like you not to, he says. 
Um, and I think that's true, right? It's, it's so hard to share our faith with other people. And there are two main reasons that it's difficult, why it's so hard to share our faith with other people. The first reason is that um, people feel inadequate, okay? So do I know enough of the Bible in order to share my faith with other people? Am I familiar enough with the text? Am I able to answer a very difficult question? Um, what if I'm asked this question and I don't know the answer to? Right? It's, what if I'm embarrassed? Maybe that's something for pastors and experts to do. And so feeling inadequate keeps people from sharing their faith with other people. Another main reason why people don't share their faith with other people is that we're scared. Fear. Fear of what other people may think of us. Fear of, I think, in many cases, the loss of a friendship. Right? If, I, if I tell this person that I'm in love with Jesus, they're going to think I'm a Jesus freak. They're going to think I'm weird. Um, maybe I might not be their friend anymore. Maybe they'll, they'll say, I can't be a friend with you. Um, and so, so we, we fear the, the loss of something. Um, maybe we just fear getting made fun of if I'm laughed at for what I believe. And I think there's even the fear of being beaten up or killed. Of course, that's not something that we typically face uh, in the, the context that we're in in America, but and certainly a fear of many Christians around the world. Uh, for example, have any of you um, heard about the slaughter of Coptic Christians um, in the Middle East? I think very few of us have. It's not something that really makes the headlines. Um, doesn't make the front page news. But that's a real concern for many Christians. So have you ever felt inadequate or scared before with sharing the gospel with other people? Anybody? So by show of hands, how many people here have either felt inadequate or scared? I see like five hands. Okay, come on, a little more. Every hand should probably go up, right? Yeah. Um, we have these feelings of, of, of being scared and inadequate. And so what I want you to walk away with this morning is, is more confidence in sharing the gospel with other people around you in your everyday, ordinary, daily life, okay? That's what I want to happen. I want to see that happening among us in our church. I think it can happen. I believe, I believe in you. I think we can do this, right? So um, we're looking at 1 Peter 2, 9 to 3, 16. And that's a lot of Bible at once. So I'm going to be doing a lot of summarizing um, for the sake of time. And uh, so let's begin. Even though Peter says we're a chosen people, he says we're a holy nation, 2, 9. The church will have problems in this world because we don't belong to it. And so we are uh, strangers, we're exiles in this foreign land, 2.11. And so when you meet a stranger, you know, somebody that you've never really met before, you're probably not willing to invite them over to your house right away, right? Like anybody, anybody meet a stranger and be like, hey, come on over, come to the backyard. Like, no, we want to get to know the person a little bit before we invite them into our, into our home, into our safe place. Um, if somebody's a stranger and they're following you, right, you're a little bit hostile towards that person, right? At least I am. I'm usually suspicious. Like, why are you following me? You know, what's going on here? Um, and so Peter is saying that we need to deflect the hostility that, that we face in this world as strangers and exiles. We need to deflect that hostility by making outsiders recognize that we are actually all about the good, uh, by living good lives, as he outlines in the rest of this section of this, of this letter, 
will begin to bring more praise to God. And so we see that the church is God's mission strategy in the world. The church planting, um, you know, producing more churches in this world is, is one of God's primary means of, of growing his church. And, and so Peter, he quotes a bunch of places in the Old Testament to describe the church. He says, uh, the first one, you're a chosen people. You can under, underline that if you want. He says, you're a chosen, chosen people. And he quotes Isaiah 43.20. He says, you're a royal priesthood. Quotes Exodus 19.6. And then he says, you're a holy nation, also Exodus 19.6, and, and, and so on. And, and he does this, he, he, he litters it with Old Testament scriptures uh, to say that God's people, like Israel was supposed to, that God's people is to attract the world to God through their holy lives. Uh, as verse 12 says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers... They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Tell the whole world about Jesus every day. Tell the whole world about Jesus every day. How Christians live each day, Monday through Saturday, tells what we really believe on Sunday morning. In our words, in our deeds, our speech, in our life. 2.9 says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Proclaim, right? So proclamation, preaching the gospel is a part of our witness. And and it has to accompany, right, the good living, the good life. Um, It has to. We have to proclaim Jesus. Next, Peter, he goes on uh, to apply this mission strategy in in the neighborhood. So 1 Peter 13, uh, sorry, 2.13 and 17. Then he describes the workplace and then, and then the home, right? So different spheres of our life, different areas of our life that he's describing. And in each of these areas, Christians look different from the world around them. We're to reach the world by living every day of our lives on mission for Jesus. We're to tell the whole world about Jesus every day. And so uh, I wanted to just point out a, a couple really simple ways that we can identify um, how we can be on mission for Jesus in everyday life, okay? So, so let's, let's start with um, the basics here. So it can be a daily routine, like uh, your, your daily commute, right? You can carpool with other people. It can be eating food, uh, walking the dog. It can be playing with your kids or a weekly routine like grocery shopping. Everybody's got to get those groceries. Um, watching sports, you know, maybe uh, football's on. Football's coming up, right? Uh, working out or a monthly routine like uh, getting a haircut, gardening, or traveling. Now, I want you to pick one of those things, right? Pick one of those things and see if you can invite another person from church to go along with you. See if you can invite another unbeliever to go along with you. And then third, identify maybe a time in that time when you're hanging out, you're doing one of those things together, that you can just talk about Jesus. Super simple. Super, super easy to do. Um, community on mission with the gospel. Um, one way I've seen this, and I've seen this uh, from a couple of members in our church. It's really great. I love seeing it. Uh, it's when uh, somebody has a birthday party, and what they'll, what they'll do is they'll invite their friends, neighbors, coworkers, um, some family members along, and then a couple families from our church. And just get together, throw a birthday party, right? Everybody's got a birthday coming up. And, uh, and it's kind of a mix. It's a, a mix of, of uh, your, some of your Christian friends and non-Christian friends all together. And it's a great time. 
and uh, people go, wow, actually, you know, Christians aren't so weird, and, you know, maybe there's some awesome gospel opportunities that spring up from that. I've seen that happen. So, I mean, that's a simple thing that any of us can do, right? Um, Don't overcomplicate it. I think uh, one of the biggest mistakes that I see often happens is, you know, um, we're always like, uh, how do we get on mission for Jesus, and what do we need to do, and, and we get all worried about it, and, and, and so we, we go, oh, well, we need to have more meetings about how we're going to do this, and we just waste a bunch of time when we can just do something so simple as sharing our faith in the ordinary context of everyday life, right? Super easy. Anybody can do it. Um, sharing Jesus is supposed to be an ordinary part of our life, like brushing our teeth and like, you know, getting ready for the day. Maybe getting ready for the day is not a great example because sometimes it's hard to get ready for the day. But, you know, uh, putting shoes on, that's pretty easy. So um, it's supposed to be effortless, easy. And it's supposed to be part of our ordinary, regular, everyday life. And this ordinary thing is very radical today. It's radical because people today are selfish. People only look at, you know, what, what I can do for myself. Um, and Peter's saying live for others. Live for other people. What this looks like on the ground in our local church and at Redemption Church, right, is, is us sharing our life together as God's people and, and getting involved with loving our city. It's that simple. Here at Redemption, we have uh, community groups placed all around San Diego County, and we hope to spring up more community groups. We're hoping to start more in different areas of San Diego. And we encourage all of our members to, to join a community group, to be part of a community group. Uh, so that we can learn from each other, so we can pray for each other, so we can grow together, and so we can reach more people with the gospel. Um, but we've also started a, a formal partnership with a, an organization called Hope for San Diego. Now, Hope for San Diego is a nonprofit organization that um, is, um, it helps uh, the marginalized, the oppressed, and um, the vulnerable uh, next door to us. And so through more service opportunities with Hope for San Diego around our, our city, uh, we hope to be a greater blessing to our city than we could be by ourselves. Uh, just last weekend, actually, we, we partnered with uh, over 400 people, right, showed up and, and were serving in different areas around San Diego County. It was so great. Wonderful thing to see. Um, thank you to all, all, of, all, of, uh, all of you who came and, and went out and, and took some time out of your day to serve. Um, so we have community groups, Hope for San Diego, and uh, hope that if you call redemption your home, that you'll be a good neighbor to other people around you. Now, why are Christians good neighbors? Why, why do Christians want to be good neighbors to other people? Uh, the reason is only and always because of Jesus. That is, that is, the, that is our primary motiv- motivator, is Jesus. So Peter, he grounds all of this talk about being a good person, right? Being a good neighbor and all this stuff. He grounds all of that in the gospel message itself. So Peter says, verse 21, 221, For to this you've been called, because Christ has also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. I mean, that's a declaration. By his wounds, you have been healed. This is what God has done in Christ in the gospel. It is finished. It is done. It is complete. 
Now, therefore, go <laughs> and make disciples and love your neighbor. And so that's our, our motivation to do good works. It's why we tell the, the whole world about Jesus every day. It's also why, and you probably picked up on this, right? Because he talks about this example thing and, and it, following Jesus in suffering. So it's also why we suffer in the world for Jesus every day. So not only do we tell the world about Jesus every day, but we suffer in the world for Jesus every day. Peter has, has really found this, this great truth, deep truth. Um, he's inviting us to be healed and rescued by the story of Jesus Christ. He's saying that the crucifixion of, of Jesus was the most unjust and wicked thing that has ever happened in the world. On the cross was a man who deserved nothing but worldly acclaim, and yet he was met with utter disgrace and rejection by men. And the sufferings of this God-man, Jesus, is not only the way that we're rescued from sin, but his suffering is actually the way that the world itself will be brought to a new world order. He's making all things new. And so following after Jesus, we suffer with Jesus. We suffer with him. I was kind of, this is not a popular message. Nothing popular about it. Um, not in any time or place, but especially in our context, right? We live in a therapeutic culture. What that means is that we're all about feeling good. Um, people do everything possible to avoid suffering. We live, we dole our pain, we hide our pain, we don't admit our pain. We drink away our pain. We don't embrace pain. And so culture says suffering's a curse, but what we just read and what we're reading, Christianity says suffering is a blessing. As Christians, we tell the whole world about Jesus, and as Christians, we suffer in the world for Jesus every day. So 3.13, I want you to read this with me. It says, Now, who's there to harm you if you're zealous for what's good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake... You will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor, the, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile, revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. If you're an introvert, you're probably super stoked right now. Right? Always be prepared to make a defense if anyone asks you, right? Nobody's asked me, so I don't have to share the gospel with anybody, right? All right you're feeling good. <laughs> Unfortunately for all of us is that the gospel message makes everybody an extrovert in, in terms of we have to share the gospel with other people. Um, and so the, the very letter itself, right, is written not to individual Christians, but to groups of Christians, and the your here is plural. In other words, we're, re we're to give a reason for our hope together as a body. Uh, our defense is the gentle, respectful, honorable lives we're corporately living because of the gospel. Is the gospel in you? Um, honest question, right? Do the people around you in your life think that by your life you believe the gospel? And I don't necessarily mean that you believe the gospel in, in, you know, man, my life is just so extraordinary. I'm always doing everything right. Look at me, look at me, look at me. 
I think uh, in, in the fact that, you know, being quick to say that you're not the gospel, to confess your sins and point other people to the gospel, what Jesus has done for you, that in itself is a testimony of what the gospel is all about, um, just for clarity. But, but Peter's saying, right, that by the lives of true Christians, people will be asking, what makes you guys so different? Like, why do you choose to live in the way that you're living? Why do you live that way? Um, and the answer, of course, is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died publicly. He was raised from the dead publicly. And, and, and that public event of what happened is what we point people to uh, when we're asked. It's our best defense that we can give. Um, so I was sitting in a college classroom uh, at San Diego State University as a budding philosophy student, and the, the professor asked a very simple question. He said, um, does anybody here still believe in God? I want you to raise your hand. Um, as you can imagine, you could hear a pin drop. Right? The whole classroom fell silent. Everyone was kind of looking around, waiting for someone's hand to go up. Right? No hands were going up. So I'm sitting there, and I'm going, ah. you know, I still believe in God. Yep. And the whole classroom roars with laughter. Everybody's laughing their pants off, right? They're just, they think it's hilarious. Um, and I was singled out for the rest of the semester as, like, the only Christian in the classroom. Right? Always, always, people always picking on the person who believes in God still. Um, but we should expect hostility from the world for being a Christian. Right? We, we should expect being made fun of, and that's okay. Um, it's really not that big of a deal. We shouldn't care so much about what other people think because we're carrying this message of hope and life for the world. And for those who are being saved, it's the aroma of Christ. It's beautiful. It is, it is salvation. Uh, unfortunately for the American church today, um, I think, sadly, what a lot of people see today when the world looks at Christians, they see people who are pretty angry, um, people who are arrogant, people who are irrelevant, people who are greedy, people who are inhospitable. Um, I'm talking about the American church at large, right? People who are selfish. But what if there's a better way forward, right? What if the church didn't look like that? What if the church looked, what if people looked at our churches and they, they said, right, when they looked at our churches, they looked at Redemption Church, for example, and they said, Man, nobody's as humble as Christians. Nobody is as calm as Christians. Nobody is as relevant as Christians. Nobody is as hospitable, as generous as Christians. Nobody is as concerned about other people as those Christians, right? That is the kind of culture, that is the kind of reality that the gospel produces. In the second century, uh, Christians were known for this. In the early church, right, they were known for caring and being concerned for their neighbors, um, for the welfare of their city. They were viewed by the Roman Empire as, as a cult because <laughs> they were new, right? So that was like the only category that Rome really had for them. So you guys are super weird, you Christians. And yet, by their lives, right, they were loving lepers, feeding the poor, showing hospitality to strangers. Uh, they took care of women. They opposed infanticide. At, at the time, that was good, that was okay, and, and they were the ones on the front line saying, no, this is totally wrong. Um, they were taking infants into their own homes. 
And, and it started to make the gods of Rome look bad. It made Rome look terrible. Um, and, and when the plague hit the Mediterranean world, it was, um, you know, a lot of people left and, and fled. And you know who stayed behind and cared for those who were sick and dying? Christians. And many, some of them died themselves. And so non-Christian people started to respect Christians. They started to believe that they believed what they believed because it was backed up by the testimony of their lives. They were charitable, giving, sacrificial, risking everything for the sake of others because of the gospel. What would it look like for the 21st century church to look more like this in a post-Christian world? What would it look like? What might our church look like if we took this seriously? Um, I'll confess, I get to, I get to see like, the front lines of it as, as one of the pastors of this church. I get to hear of all the cool things that are happening among all of our, our people. And so I get to hear the stories um, you know, when someone witnessed to a neighbor or, or somebody um, uh, you know, shared the gospel or invited somebody to church. Or, like, I hear all that stuff, and it's great. It's like it's front lines. You get to hear all that. And so I want to encourage you, first of all, and commend everyone at our church. Everyone's doing a great job. Um, and I, I only want to see that, that gospel work flourish and continue. Um, but how might our, our lives change further? As a question. Um, maybe it means we make small changes to our schedules, so we're a little bit more intentional, right, in, in trying to invite a neighbor along with us when we're doing something. Maybe it means that, you know, we... we uh, finally pick up the phone and call that old man down the street and go clean up his backyard, right? Um, tend his trees or whatever. Um, maybe it means we invite our next-door neighbor or neighbor across the street or somebody in our cul-de-sac over uh, in, uh, for, to share a meal. Maybe it means having that awkward conversation where you go, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus, right? Maybe. Um, I get that it can be hard to share the gospel with other people. Right? I get that um, we feel insecure. Um, I mean, I feel inadequate every week that I'm here preaching to other people. I feel scared sometimes when I'm out in public and I have to share my faith with somebody. And I go, ooh, is this really the time that God wants me to say something? You know, and that, 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 that fear kind of overtakes me too. Um, the truth is, you and I are inadequate. Jesus is adequate. Um, that's kind of the point. And, and the truth is, you and I are scared. We're scared. And that's why we need to remember the promise of God that I am with you always, right? Even to the end of the age, Matthew 28. That Jesus is with us in our fear. And he cares for us in our anxiety. And he's always with us. And so you don't need to be afraid. And you don't need to be insecure about sharing, sharing your faith with other people. Because God has already equipped you. He's already given you everything you need in Christ <laughs> to do this. It's not hard, right? It's simple. Um, so go be who God has called you to be. Where God has called you to be. Be who God's God uh, called you to be. And go into those places that only you can go into with only the people that you know, right? Other people don't know the same people you know. But you know them. Share the gospel with those people. Let's pray.